in my estimation, it's 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 a it's an island. He's there with with Wilson. It's you know, there's no one else there. It's 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 a Trey Ford tier. Hello and welcome to At the 55, your home for OUA football. A raucous week two is in the books. Me and your boy Nate are here to break it all down. Nate, off the top, any news and notes, anything jump out for you watching a uh, a nice slate of football this weekend that you're excited to cover? Well, I mean, you know, credit where credit's due. There was only one brave soul who had the courage to pick Guelph and he's sitting in my chair it happens to be me. So I'm going to take my victory lap on that one. It was a last minute decision, but yeah, that stuck out to me. It was a pretty big surprise. You know, not a lot of people would have had the, the cojones to do that, but you know, I did uh, aside from that, you know, a bit of inclement weather on the weekend, Zach, which kind of maybe put a bit of a damper on the battle of, of Waterloo there as well as the York Carlton game, I think was a bit wet, but um, boy, oh boy, did it pay off if you waited for the nightcap in Western Guelph. What a fantastic game that really kind of opens things back up for the OUA season. If you thought last week, well, Western's going to roll, well, you were wrong, I'm afraid. No, absolutely. And and you have all the people wondering, is he high or is he a genius? And I don't think we'll ever know the truth of the matter, but it was a great pick. But I, thankfully, as the alumni, get to play both sides of it because had my pick gone through, I would have won the, the pick. But even losing the pick, I still get to rock some Guelph swag and and, and be happy about the win. But yeah, that was a, a beautiful nightcap. I think it's what they call an emotional hedge, right, Zach? So, yeah, exactly. You know, if Guelph wins, you could be happy. If Guelph loses, well, I still pick Weston, right? I'm good. <laughs> yeah, it's a win-win proposition for me. Uh, no, super psyched to get into that conversation. And uh, yes, I can confirm the weather was inclement. That's a uh, that, that's a very factual statement. Um, but we'll get it started where we did last week. Start with our uh, recognizing some of our players of the week. Uh, we'll start on the offensive side of the ball. Um, I'll go first on this one. Always a pleasure seeing him play live. Got to see him twice this year, and he seems to always bring the CFL scouts out to the games. It's Trey Ford. Uh, man, you know, it's it's kind of a, a re- similar with last week where just kind of watching the game, it doesn't have the same kind of explosive nature that he did last year. I mean, there were some explosive runs on there. I mean, just reading the lines, 14 for 21, three TDs, one pick in there uh, for 220 yards altogether. And then on the ground as well, nine rushes for 125 and yeah, a few just really big chunk plays. So I feel like we're just kind of getting, uh, what's the word? We're kind of getting like acclimatized to watching him put up these amazing performances that when it's not 400 plus yards combined and the massive bombs downfield. And you know what? going in this year it's like oh Ternowski's gone he still has lamb no peller and how's he gonna do it's like well meet this guy Bazaliga you know he's gonna just be dominant and be one of the top receivers in the OEA now and I'm sure he's a talented player of his own he's clearly shown that but no doubt just being in this Trey Ford machine is helpful for all people so I'm taking way too much time but you can never give Trey Ford enough accolades he's my pick for offensive player of the week hey we could go for we could go for the whole hour on Trey Ford if you want Jack. I'm <laughs> open to it <laughs> But uh, no, for my offensive player of the week, I'm going to go with another guy, Zach, who's close to my heart. You know, maybe people are going to get sick of me. Maybe I got to switch it up. But it's another Queens guy. Uh, I'm going to go with Rasheed Tucker. 17 carries, 145 yards. Um, No touchdowns on the day, which is a bit of a fascinating thing. Queens wanted to to give the ball to the big fella Connor Burdenshaw or Birdie, as he's affectionately known uh, by the Queens faithful. But 
you know, going back, a great game for Rasheed Tucker and Queens kind of, you know, rolled on the day. And obviously Rasheed played a, a huge part of that. No, absolutely. And they controlled the ball so well in that game and him being able to just move those chains was a big part of it. Uh, going over the defensive player of the week, I almost went back to back with, uh, you know, your other boy from Queens, Federico. But, you know, I want to give credit to a guy that was on the losing side of the equation for his team this week in uh, Talik Ayuman, defensive back for York. Uh, two sacks on the day, which, you know, not necessarily what you expect out of a defensive back and really kind of highlights. Um, you were kind of talking beforehand. You were mentioning how much zero that team likes to play and just just get after it. And, and, and Coach Ockpro kind of drawing things up a little perhaps less conventional but anyways Aoman's uh Aoman's kind of game kind of highlights a bit of that and uh yeah, he's all over the field um and as we've kind of said like this York team you know some showing some good things on offense we'll get to them when we get into that game but defensively like they they show a lot of really nice things so I'll, I'll give uh, Aoman a tip of the cap there for his performance albeit in the loss against Carlton yeah, for me, you know, I think we'd be kind of remiss without mentioning that Guelph defense, the performance they had. <clears throat> so I'm going to shout out Justin Lozon. Seven solo tackles, two TFLs and a sack. Just an outstanding all-around performance that kind of really sums up the trouble that Guelph's defense was able to cause on a day against Western, who looked pretty uncomfortable in that one, which we'll get into later. No doubt. And we'll finish off with special teams player of the week. Uh, you and me kind of had a fight over uh, the the pick that you are going to take. So I'll let you uh, talk about your special teams player of the week. Yeah, I'm going to stick with Guelph again. I'm going to go with Eric Strons, the kicker. Uh, three for four for field goals on the day. And two of those coming from 40 plus. You know, that's a really special day from a kicker in the OUA. And, you know, got to give him his credit. And at the end of the day, you know, that was the difference in the game was those field goals. So. Totally. In such a close, tight scoring game like that was, yeah, that really came down to it. And of course, you know, Western had a chance at the end with a field goal as well and, and had that one uh, connected. We probably would have been talking about the other kicker in that game a little bit. But, you know, despite, as I said, I wanted to shout out Strands as well. But I'm going to give a tip of the cap to Dante Master Giuseppe, once again, highlighting another player uh, from that York game despite the loss. Uh, you know, kicking the crap out of the ball on his punts, but then also having that fake punt where... Hard to tell whether it was drawn up or not. It looked like maybe it was a bit of a bobbled snap. He's a veteran back there. He's a really good athlete. I mean, he'll be the first to tell you how athletic he is. We had a chance to interview him. Um, and he kind of just assessed the situation, took a few steps, assessed it a little more, took a few steps, and then boom, he just turned the Jets on, picked up the first down. Uh, so, yeah, he's got a cannon for a leg. And, uh, you know, he can he can move those puppies too a little bit as well to pick up the, uh, the first down. So shout out to him. But, you know, shout out to the kickers this week. Uh, you know, you, you made the very... Uh, the very uh, nice choice of, of saying that kickers are people too last week. And uh, we seem to be continuing with that theme. Um, and that'll take us into our who's back of the week. Um, Nate, I, I, I'm, I'm drawing inspiration from your beautiful performance on the episode last week and, and shouting at your Queens Gales after their uh, week one victory for your who's back. And I'm going to be doing the same thing with my Guelph Griffins, despite picking against them. We will always stand together. We'll never stand apart. You can't take a Griffin spirit. You can't take a Griffin's heart. The Guelph Griffins are back. We'll get into that one. I won't even talk too much about it because uh, I'm sure uh, once we get into that Western Guelph game, we will have a lot to say. But, you know, they were back. The uh, I really enjoyed the broadcast. They have their kind of pre-game, halftime, post-game show going on the sideline reporters. Um 
you know, obviously has been a lot of money invested in that program into the aesthetics and the performance center and all that. And it's really all starting to come together. It is, it is a show, uh, that, uh, Stu Lang has been pulling the strings on. Uh, yeah. So- and and how about the <laughs> the halftime show on the broadcast of taking us around the locker room just in case any of you recruits were watching? <laughs> Don't mind us. We're just gonna take a little tour here at halftime. But no, I agree. The broadcast of golf's good stuff. I mean, you got <laughs> the broadcast guy going off yelling about Saccarinos and whatnot. Sacamino, Sacamino. All right. <laughs> But yeah, no, it's a it's a fun time, and, and I'm sure they had a fun time in Guelph uh, last night. So, absolutely. What is it? Is, Trapper, got- is it Trappers Alley, Zach? Is that where you guys go? What's the spot? Where are you hitting you up know, after the big win against Weston? The more sort of uh, like official team spot would be Frank's. Hit that up. Shout out to Dario. Uh, prior there, you also normally see him running around with the flag after the touchdowns at the game, doing some push-ups. But uh, yeah, Trappers is you know another popular uh, watering hole as well for the fellas. Uh, wasn't as much my cup of tea. I just you know more just chilling at Frank's with with, with the boys, you know. But uh, there's uh, I'm sure it was a fun night uh, in Guelph. And despite being homecoming here in London, I'm sure a bit of a damper when uh, the ponies returned to the Forest City. But uh, you know. No doubt they're not hanging their head after that one. There's a lot looking up, but we'll get to that later. Uh, Nate, did you have a who's back for us you want to shout out? I did have a who's back, and this is maybe a little more subtle one, but uh, maybe Guelph was a bit surprised to find, oh, look who's back that left our program, Brandon Murphy, and now he's wearing purple. Huh. (laughs) Yeah, we had a transfer from Guelph, Brandon Murphy, who went over to Western and returned, um, unfortunately, to take the L at his old stopping grounds on the weekend. So that was who was back at Guelph this weekend. Yeah, I, I remember in that Mac Western game, seeing Murphy out there, and I was like, same spelling of the name, same number, same position. Is this? And it turned out it is. Maybe, eh, who knows? I think they said something that his brother plays at Western, so sure, yeah, his his reasons for going, but Guelph getting the last laugh in that one. But that'll take us into the recap. We'll start with the game we had for our game of the week. And much like in week one, you know, I'm doing bad picking these winners. I think I'm also doing bad picking games of the week because this is the second time in a row where despite the pomp and circumstance going into it, didn't live up to the billing. It was Battle of Waterloo part one. And this one was uh, unapologetically a a Warriors (laughs) victory, 36 to 12. And kind of similarly, as we said, with the Windsor game. And kind of talking about Trey Ford a little bit in Offensive Player of the Week is that I feel like this team is slightly underwhelming me only because we've seen them do such just incredible explosive things offensively. But I think on a whole, what we've seen from this team is just such a better, well-rounded team. And and they're methodical. You know, they just kind of like they're it seems like they're more committed to running the ball, both handing off two Mets and, and Trey obviously still doing his thing. Um I'll, I'll hand the floor over to you in one second, just covering, I guess, some of the lines we had for this one. It was Laurier plus 10.5, maybe a favorable line uh, despite the outcome. And then we had Michael Reed on over-unders tackles for loss. He hit the number on the money at 1.5, so a bit of a push there. But I'll hand the floor over to you. Uh, what what were your thoughts coming out of this part one installment, Battle of Waterloo? I mean, it's funny that it's game of the week, but uh, you talk of, with some guys that follow this closely. You know, I know we sort of, have our conversations in the group chat about it. You hear other personalities such as Deshaun Stevens talking about it on Twitter. Um, But it's sort of, you know, as an objective perspective, maybe you thought this game would be close, but kind of 
seeing Laurier and Waterloo in week one, you kind of thought, mm, maybe we should have expected this, right? I mean, Laurier coming in with sort of, you know, a backup quarterback. He's a first-year kid. Like, it's it's almost impossible to be too hard on him given the circumstances. I mean, he throws four picks, but Zach, if you threw me into a game like that my first year, maybe I'd have six or seven. You know what I mean? So I don't want to be too hard on the kid. But, you know, again, it's the Waterloo coming in and doing what they were supposed to do. And it's like you said, it's not the Trey Ford show, but it's the Waterloo defense that I think really carried them today. The Waterloo numbers on offense don't blow you away. And I think the Laurier defense actually has nothing to be ashamed of. I think they did a lot of good things. And I think, <laughs> you know, sometimes you have a plan with a spy and sometimes, you know, I don't know if anyone in this league can spy Trey Ford. I mean, <laughs> so a bit unlucky there, you know, a few other times the defense did actually a really good job getting pressure on the day, but again, the fact of the matter is, is that Trey is pretty much outrunning anyone you're sending at him. So that's why he ends up with over 100 yards rushing on the day. But I think for that Laurier defense, you know, don't feel too bad. And, you know, the reality of the situation is you're starting a first year kid. Um, you know, there's there's brighter days ahead. Uh, I'll just end with that. Well, and obviously uh, it's great experience for Elgersma. And you mentioned the four picks that uh, you got to give credit to Waterloo for forcing the issue, no doubt as well. Young quarterback, not seeing the field as well as as well as he will, no doubt with more experience. But just sort of the the raw kind of arm talent and the stature in the pocket definitely shows a bit of uh, a lot of potential there for them. So you combine that with the fact that he's getting this sort of trial by fire so early, and uh, it, it is promising. Uh, Any we talked, you kind of had the the line going into this week where for Laurie to win this, it was going to be defense 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 and and they did their part as best you can i mean there's only so much you can do to try and you know spy trade for they had tommy bringy the standout linebacker trying to track him down and bringy is not a slouch by any means in his physicality or his just reads on the game and his athleticism but it's hard to keep up obviously with number five i was actually five on five for having bringy and ford as sort of that matchup in there but you know it's uh it's <laughs> it's kind of interesting now thinking about after we saw and we'll get into Guelph uh, Western later um, man and what we saw out of Mac week one Waterloo so far I think is it might be the front runner for uh, for best looking team so far in the province and and obviously there was a lot of expectations going on to this team and we talked about all those things but uh, we'll just I'll, I'll leave it I'll leave it on this it was a, a heck of a game a heck of a game for number five in Waterloo. Uh, if I wasn't too uh, heavy-handed with that analogy, uh, well, I don't know how it could have been anymore. But uh, you know, I want one thing to do to mention, though, of course, that um, Tyrell Ford, the standout uh, corner for Waterloo, and who has uh, performs incredibly for them in the return game as well. You know, uh, with uh, punts and, and and kickoffs, he did leave the game after an interception. Uh, looked like a shoulder injury of some kind. You know, you could even see on the sideline he had to get help taking the pads off so you know i don't want to speculate on too much without having followed up or knowing anything about it but that obviously could be huge for them as we said not only uh just a standout on defense and special teams but just a, a veteran in that locker room and one of the the leaders on the defense for them so that'll definitely be interesting to follow and going into a game next week against the still defending AIDS cup champions don't forget <laughs> the mac marauders uh you know if they miss him on defense, that'll be a big loss for them. So definitely be following that through the week. Absolutely. Well, that'll take us into our next game. We're looking at the York Lions home opener where they fell to the Carlton Ravens 30 
to 17. You know, that score is actually perhaps a little bit more favorable to the Lions than the game indicated. A lot of those points coming late in the game. Carlton was really in control of this one pretty much all the way through. Um, you know, a- another really strong outing from Taron DeJong at quarterback for them. It, it seemed like he, he might he left seemed to have left on crutches. I don't know much about that. Um, you know, we were kind of talking beforehand that we, we saw him be taken out of the game, but we thought it was just more of a game's kind of in the books, handed over to, uh, you know, the backup. Um, what were your thoughts with Carlton in this one? Obviously, we had York getting those a lot of those players back they were missing uh, from week one against Laurier and a strong performance by Carlton. How much stock do you put in what you saw versus knowing that they're against the York team that still, you know, shouldn't, shouldn't quite be on their, on their pedestal? Well, I mean, you know, you talk about the York team and yet they're, they've been struggling these first two weeks, but I'm, I was, you know, still impressed with the Carlton offense. I think whenever you play that York defense, you mentioned it sort of in the beginning, talking about the players of the week, but they do a lot of tricky stuff. They're going to bring a lot of zero at you. And Carlton definitely looked prepared for that. De Jong was prepared for that. You know, he's taking his two steps and hucking it up there and giving his guys a chance. And they made plays on a couple of those occasions. So I, for me, that was much more impressed with them, obviously coming off a game where they look kind of underwhelming against the Queens defense. But, you know, York defense, I don't, it's no, they're no slouches over there. You know, they're always a tricky team to play. And I think it's a good sign for them. I think definitely they have some momentum going into Panda next week. But, as you said, not having De Jong, you know, that might cause some problems from them going forward and might affect our picks later in the week. But, um, you know, for now, I'd say you got to be happy as Carlton and you you kind of have turned things around your head in the right direction. I like what that offense is doing. Definitely. And, you know, we mentioned what De Jong did at QB. Um, what really stood out to me in this game more than anything was you know, we we weren't really sure going into the year whether Nathan Carter was still going to be playing for uh, still with the Ravens. I mean, that actually probably would have been a good who's back there. It felt like it felt like 2018 all of a sudden seeing uh, Nathan Carter, uh, you know, rumbling and tumbling for the Carlton Ravens. I was expecting to see you know number five for Queens back at quarterback. It was such a throwback uh, seeing Carter out there. Um, but you know, I I say that you know jokingly, just poking a little fun at him. I mean, he, great day, 19 attempts, 83 yards, no touchdowns, but. In, no sign of Josh Ferguson, and I, I don't remember him going out in the week one game uh, against Queens. Maybe I'm misremembering something, but, you know, on the one hand, uh, obviously we'll figure out hopefully sooner than later what the status is for Ferguson. So not great in the fact he wasn't there for them in this game, but that positive of saying, of being able to see, okay, you still have Carter, and Carter's still, you know, doing what he was doing, uh, you know, Back when, back when you were still, you know, slinging the rock there for Queens in your matchups against these guys. So that's definitely a very interesting piece to keep our eyes open for as well. Um, so moving on to our next game, and I think I mixed up the order here a little bit. So we're actually going to move a little back in time now to look at the uh, Ottawa-Queens game. Uh, oh, actually, sorry, before I do that, just cover the lines real quick. We had York in that one, plus six and a half on the line. Tana Zhang, set, we set the over-under on yards for him at 265.5. He came up just short on that number at 264 yards. Uh, so, 
you know, good. I'd say good job by us by setting that line. You know, not not, not too shabby. I'd say. Um, but anyways, moving on to the the game I accidentally skipped over: Ottawa versus GG. Ottawa, Ottawa GG versus the Queens Golden Gales. We had Queens taking this one thirty to seven. Uh, we had set it minus three and a half for Queens on the line. Nick Liberatore, the kicker, we set that at one and a half field goals on the game for him. Ended up zero and one there. You know, I think that line, I'll sort of start the conversation on this point. I think the one and a half field goals represented some of our thoughts going into this week based on what we'd seen week one with these OUA East teams is that they all feel pretty evenly matched. And, you know, just state to state what should, you know, to acknowledge what should be acknowledged. Obviously, an incredibly emotional week for the GGs with, you know, the passing of, of Francis Perron. So you can only imagine what this must have been like for them, what this continues to be like, and then having to play that game. And, you know, it was, it was beautiful seeing all the dedications, not just in this game, but around the league as well, um, in the memory of Perron. Um, but I, once again, that, that one and a half field goals for Liberatore, I think, was indicative that we thought this was going to be a, a tight matchup all the way through. But this was, this was Queens pretty much all game long. I mean, we talked about the performance Tucker had and how that was key in just letting Queens control the ball. Um, but they were turning over Ottawa, um, putting themselves in great field position. And, uh, you know, James Keenan, I, I definitely have a lot of thoughts I want to get to on him. But, you know, with this being your old club, uh, what were your thoughts watching them just control this game pretty much start to finish? You know, it was it was impressive. And it's hard to be, you know, I'm not going to be critical of Ottawa or anything like that. You know, in fact, I only have praise for those guys, you know, as brave and courageous as they were to go and play the game this weekend, I, I can't imagine sort of what they're going through and kind of to have the strength to do that. I mean, hats off, round of applause, all of the above, you know, for those guys. And, you know, I don't want to put too much stock into this game for them. Um, from the Queen side, you know, you got to feel good. I mean, that defense, uh, we talked about it in week one, they looked even better today. Um, you know, having a couple picks, setting up the offense, and, you know, maybe this will be kind of the theme for them this season. During the first two games, it's absolutely been the strength of the team. No question about it. They've balled out. And uh, fascinating to see as the season develops, if this will continue to be the case for the Gales, I would put my money on it. No doubt. I mean, we mentioned Federico's name. You talked about Walter Caraben week one. Uh, another really strong outing for him. Nolan Bedard, you mentioned getting the, the interception setting up that offense um so yeah it really looks like the strength of this team might be a stout defense a really consistent running game that o-line was just doing a great job opening up holes for tucker but you know as i was kind of setting up my big question with this one is about mr mr james keenan and he got me kind of thinking about the oua quarterbacks in sort of tiers um and so i kind of want to throw this by you i want to get your takes on this so we kind of have i have my top tier, we'll call it the Trey Ford tier, because in my estimation, it's 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 a it's an island. He's there with with Wilson. It's you know, there's no one else there. It's 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 the Trey Ford tier. Then we have a secondary tier that's kind of a combination of both what we've seen this year as far as their performance, also looking back to a few years to kind of give us a sense of what they've done before. And in that <clears throat> category, Clay Sakara at UFT, obviously, Andreas Duick, Taryn DeJong, and, and even Sam Girard. We cannot sleep on the man from Windsor any longer. Then I have this sort of third category that's 
very much representative of the Guelph Western game. We'll get into that because that category is occupied by just Sean Lal and Jackson White, the two starting quarterbacks from that game. And I think I have them there as they're obviously in a new team, new setting. We've now seen two weeks from Jackson White. We can kind of start to get a vibe of how he's working that offense. Lal, really strong outing for them. They're going up against Windsor next week. I, I'd be willing to say he'll have another good start if he's their quarterback. But you know, I think just not enough to really know for sure what these guys can do to elevate their team. Kind of, I think they've shown they can set a pretty good floor for what that team, their teams can do. We'll just see how high they can take the ceiling. And then this last category is kind of young guys in perhaps somewhat unfavorable positions who've just been showing some good stuff so far. And in that category, you know, we have Ben Maracle, Noah Craney, Taylor Elgersma. And now in all of that, and obviously, you know, I want your thoughts on that, but I don't know where Keenan goes in this. I, I, I feel like there's part of me that thinks he, because he only has the one year starting where, you know, the team was still kind of cutting their teeth, you know, finding that team identity back in 2019. So there's part of me that thinks, is he just at the top of that category of like the Elgersma Miracle Craney? Or is he in the mix with the, you know, DeYoung, Sakara, Duick, and Gerard kind of kind of guys, you know? What is, what's your take on hearing just those kind of tiers? What's your thoughts on sort of the, the state of quarterback play in the OUA this year? And specifically, where do you, where, what's your take on James Keenan? Well, in talking about Keenan, it's sort of impossible not to mention the example his predecessor set for him, you know, Nate Hobbs. Uh, then- <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to shout myself out every chance I get Zach, <laughs> but no, that's where he gets the wheels from, right? Watching oh, your tape? absolutely. <laughs> I used to beat him in all the races in the sprints. Come on. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think it's really fascinating because I'm sure as, as an outsider or someone just looking at the box or saying, you know, what are you guys talking about? This guy doesn't even throw for more than 200 yards a game so far this year. But when you watch the games and you sort of look at what this Queens offense is asking him to do, and he's doing every bit of it. I mean, you could put sort of, I'm not going to say Trey Ford in there because obviously he's a bit better athlete than James, but I think you put, you know, Clay Sakara, Andreas Dueck in that offense. I don't think the numbers would be extremely different because, I mean, you look at what they're asking him to do. They're asking him to control the ball. They're going to run the ball. They're going to throw quick passes. And guess what? Whenever they've gotten in range to make the strike and they've asked him to make that deep throw, he's done it. You saw the two lovely throws he had against Carlton, one to Ben Langwell, one to Burden. He hits Burden on another one this week. I mean, he's calm. He's cool. He's composed. He takes the five yards when he needs to. And I think most importantly for this team is he's not turning over the ball. So, I mean, in sort of this new sort of identity that Queens has found themselves in. He's sort of playing the role exactly how he needs to. So I would, I would be a, put him a little higher rather than lower, at least for me. What do you think, Zach? Well, I mean, I definitely think that uh, there's a strong argument to kind of have him, like I said, in that space with, you know, the Duicks, the, the Sakara, even the Young and Gerard. Um, in fact, it's interesting. I think there's a, an, bit of a neat comparison to make with a guy like Duick going back to that 2019 Mac year where really 
what I liked so much about that Mac team was that they had a lot of great individual players, but everyone was really good at just playing their role. And I think that's what made that offense so effective is that it was hard to key in on one particular person or one particular sort of aspect of the game. Then you rely on having just a stalwart defense across the board makes for a team that competes for and wins Yates Cups. And as we've already been talking about, this is a Queens defense that looks like they're the real deal. You obviously have a guy in Rashid Tucker that's, you know, maybe we can go over some running back tiers uh, either uh, in the preview pod week three or next week, who's definitely amongst the top of the pack there. But as you mentioned, you know, he's getting the ball to Burton, to Cuemo, to Langwa. He's really using his weapons well and obviously credit to the offensive staff there. So shout out, I, shout out coach Flax. <laughs> yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And hey, shout out to my boy, Matt Nesbitt, you know, with, with the big dogs up front. Um, so, you know, I, I think that they're in a great position right now with him, wherever you want to slot in Keenan, it's, 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 it's good things for them, you know, and um, I, I've probably quoted Stu Lang uh, in saying this way too many times, but I'll do it again, where he always talked about sort of the trajectory of a winning team is, you know, when you start uh, with a complete rebuild where you're just, you know, getting run over week by week and you make the steps to improve and maybe the next year, year after that, you're maybe still losing or still have a losing record, but you're in tighter games and you're competing. And the year after that, you're now kind of maybe slightly on the more winning side of things, 500, a bit better. You're in those competitive games, but now you're learning how to win. And then you become that sort of dominant team that's the favorite in each year and and you can look at a lot of teams that have had success and see those that trajectory and i think queens is right on that of now moving from a team that 2019 they were definitely competitive in a lot of games there's their record could have gone a number of different ways in some of those games and now they're learning to you know end drives with touchdowns not three points be able to keep you know not turn the ball over in just the worst times and uh yeah that team's really coming together and it's going to be very fun i mean this whole league's looking like I mean, we're two weeks in you know, for some of these teams, we're a third of the way through the season already. It's madness. So it's just uh, it's it's just a wild time keeping up with everything going on. But I, I think for both of us, pretty, pretty, pretty high on this Queens team so far through the year. Absolutely. So that'll, so that'll take us to the nightcap, the, the game that we've somehow talked a ton about already, despite not having broken it down yet. It is the Mustangs versus the Guelph Griffins. Final score in this one, the Guelph Griffins 23, the Western Mustangs 21. Guelph taking this one at home. We had the line set plus nine and a half on this for Guelph. So definitely Western with the heavy favorite going into it. We had picked Clark Barnes on the over under for a half kickoff return touchdown. So obviously if he got a touchdown, you you got the over. If he didn't, you got it hit the under. Not applicable in this one as he was not playing, um, which obviously Guelph got the win. So not to say he wasn't missed, but clearly they were able to put together the victory against the team that was ranked number one in the nation. But in some ways, you know, I feel like the place to start is probably Sean Law, a quarterback. And I'll pass the ball over to you to as our uh, uh, our, our quarterback whisperer. Um, but you think about what that team was able to do with Law, with the can he has at arm, getting the ball out to guys like Keandre Smith, a hell of a game for him. A couple of drop passes from some guys that could have made that offense even more potent. Really using the running backs well with Jeffrey, with Kane Stevenson, that, a bit of a two-headed monster there. And now we're thinking that this team is is getting Clark Barnes back as well, which, uh, you know, as we've highlighted, not only makes an impact for them on offense uh, as a receiver, but in the return game. What's your thoughts so uh, in the early performance of this Guelph Griffins team, particularly what you saw out of Sean Law at QB? Well, I mean, again, I'm going to sort of 
use the same comparison I had for Keenan, but you look at the line and he's 50% for 185 and you're thinking, you know, what are you guys talking about? But that's the reason why these games aren't played on paper. You know what I mean? You got to go to the game and watch the game and sort of see the impact that they have. And, you know, looking at a guy, let's set the stage. It's your first start. Okay. Against the Western Mustangs, the number one team in the country who just came off a performance where, I mean, the score embarrasses Mac. Okay. So everyone's coming in thinking it's going to be some kind of blowout. And this guy performed well. I mean, you sort of look, he's not afraid. You can tell he understands the defense. He's anticipating throws. He's getting the ball out on time. You can tell he understands the offense. And, you know, I think more than anything kind of what set it up early in the game is they had first and goal from the couple from, you know, very close to Western's goal line. And they sort of end up in a third and goal situation. And you're like, uh, well, what are they going to do? You know, they're close. Are they going to run the ball? But no, they left. They let the ball in Sean's hands and he delivered. He threw a touchdown. So that sort of speaks to how, A, this guy's going to come through in big situations. And B, what maybe stands out more is that this coaching staff really trusts him. And Ryshane really trusts him. You know, and that was true throughout the game. I mean, this guy was throwing deep balls. He's throwing intermediate balls, short balls. And while not necessarily all of them were completions, um, I was really imp- impressed by his confidence, his anticipation. And, you know, I'm going to be sort of bullish here on what I expect from the rest of the year. I think, you know, we talk about James Keenan ascending tiers. I think by the end of the year, we may be talking about Sean Law ascending tiers as well. No doubt. I mean, he certainly has just the look of a quarterback that, I mean, the arm matches the build. Some of those corners he was throwing just, man, seemingly a flick of the wrist. He obviously puts a lot into that just with his frame. Uh, in, in talking about the Guelph rushing attack, I forgot to highlight as well Kwame Ose. So I guess more of a three-headed monster they have there in the backfield. And, and looking at Western and sticking with the run game, I think this was where coming off that week one game, especially where... I think people thought, I mean, there's a lot of reasons to come out of that week one game being pretty high on Western, what they did to Mac. But I think a lot of it had to do with that performance in the run game, what Keon Edwards and Trey Humes were able to do. And Speaking, start- speaking Zach, yes. of being high, I was, accused, <laughs> I was accused of being high on Twitter for picking Guelph this game and for thinking that they could stop the Western running game. So I digress. Back to you. <laughs> is he high or is he a genius it's our new favorite segment here on at the 55 but you know and you're absolutely right give Guelph all the credit in the world and I definitely want to go through some of the names and we've highlighted a few of them already on that defense that did such a good job of I think you you, you word it really well of making Western uncomfortable but it sure didn't look like that at the start it it looked like it looked like this was going to be a repeat of last week when Western came out running that kind of you know power run game off the right side. Keon Edwards, you know, using his patience as a runner, seeing the hole, hitting it hard. Trey Humes having some good carries. It kind of felt like they just went away from it a little bit. And and part of me thinks that they're playing the long game here, kind of as we've talked about some of these offenses being well-rounded in both being able to, you know, kill you in the air, kill you on the ground. And maybe they really just want to, you know, hey, we'll we'll lose a game if we need to early on, if that's what it takes to get, Jackson White just fully ingrained in the system um, versus just sticking with what we know we're good at. But it, it, it at times did feel like I just thought they could have run the ball a little bit more. But, 
you know, whether it was their own doing and not running it enough or the, the Griffins defense slowing it down. I mean, I'm sure it's both, but you know, you mentioned Lauzon the game. The guy's an absolute demon there. He just flies around nine tackles and a sack. Not not to be outdone, AJ Allen returning from visiting Saskatchewan Rough Rider camp this past summer, nine tackles of his own, a half sack as well. And if you know anything about AJ, there may be a few other stats in there that just aren't accounted for because he's he 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 must have ticked off someone in the stat cat in the whoever ca- counts the stats for the uh, OUA because he has highlighted a number of games in the past where his stats do not go accounted for. Um, but then as well, you know, obviously the performance of. Um, you know, in the secondary, a guy like Kosian Yeka, Ben Lack, I mean, guys that are, you know, making plays, but also just, you know, laying down the smackdown any chance they can. I mean, this is a hard-hitting defense. Jared Beeksma, another veteran. So we talked about that if this team did have a chance, much like we said with Laurie, it was going to be on that defense, highlighted some of the losses on that defensive line. But man, that linebacking core and that secondary for them were just flying around the ball, um, you know, turning the ball over, causing mayhem. And, um, you know, you add on what looks like a uh, a solid offense for the Griffins that'll no doubt just get better, as you said, with Lol just getting more comfortable. And a special teams unit that we obviously highlighted um, how effective Eric Strons is for them and talking about the fact that we're gonna they're going to get Clark Barnes back in the return game as well. It's, uh, you know, I don't want to make the mistake that uh, I may have made with Western Week 1 and getting... Uh, you know, too high on them off of just one performance. But, you know, you add into the fact that you know, this is a Mustang team that seems like the whole country was pretty high on off of one game. And, and for Guelph to do what they did, uh, it's it's hard not to be, to be, as you said, a little bullish on this Griffin team. Yeah, Zach, you mentioned Western sort of getting away from the running game there. And that was something that I picked up from this game as well. And, you know, obviously it wasn't as lucrative from them in the running game early on as it was against Mac, but they were still picking up good yardage. Um, as you mentioned on that first drive, they really drove it all the way down the field using the running game, but in sort of the ensuing drives, there were maybe a couple of plays where they got stopped for a couple yards instead of the seven, eight, nine, ten that they're used to. And from there was next thing, you know, they're throwing the ball on the majority of the first down plays. And I was sort of pretty surprised to see that. And you talk about getting, Jackson White involved and while you know I think that's important I don't necessarily think that's what they were trying to do I don't know why they stopped running the ball but uh, maybe maybe this is just me coming from a guy who's never had the luxury of a Wester running attack and I feel like if I had that shoot why would I not just be doing that all the time and and you know that's not to take away I think you know we talked about Sean Law a lot I was actually impressed by a lot of the things that Jackson White did in this game um, but sort of inconsistent at times missing a couple easy throws that could have extended drives and obviously late in the game um, they weren't exactly able to get the job done so I'm not worried about this western team per se I mean if you look at the stats Guelph ran the ball more than them which is probably something that should not happen um, if you're the western Mustangs but you know sort of okay let's let's reset we kind of know you should know where you kind of went wrong in that game and and sort of rebounding next week against Laurie. I think I think they'll be all right in sort of regaining their identity over the coming weeks. No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, uh, 
I'm a little scared for for Laurier to have to <laughs> take on a pissed off Mustangs team back at home following the loss to Guelph. Uh, so uh, you know, let, let, we'll see what they can do. It's interesting as you're kind of saying that. I, I was going through some of the stats on the game as far as the offenses are concerned, and what what's incredible is that when you look at just the raw yards offensively, Western pretty comfortably ahead in this one, 352 yards to 215 yards for Guelph. Plays run pretty much you know, on par one, uh, uh, equally. Um, and then penalties. I, I kind of had a Guelph with 11 for 212 penalty yards. Western, not only nine penalties for 133. And so to me, a lot of this comes down to then you add in the fact that, you know, Western ended up kicking five field goals and hit four of them. As we said, one of those, uh, the, the one missed was, you know, going to be a, a, a near walk-off uh, for them there. And so it just really feels like Guelph did a great job some in, in some cases, despite their own efforts with the penalties of, you know, a bit of a cliche, bend but don't break on defense. You know, we were saying with Queens, you know, uh, one of those sort of markers of improving team is you're seeing, you know, finishing drives with sixes and not threes. And Guelph was able to make the, a lot of these Western drives and with three. And, you know, some timely turnovers as well as, as some bad penalties for Western. But, yeah, I don't, I don't come out of this game really – you know, I – I'll be interested to see how the powers that be design the power rankings for this week because it, it it might be easy to say, well, Guelph is now ahead of Western. I, I I don't think we can say that. You know, I think all we know is that these are just two bitter rivals that uh, there's no love lost between. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the tough thing, as we said. We're still so early in the season, but we're also just like a solid chunk into the year. So it makes it a little hard for the uh, the uh, in the take factory to sort of know where we're going with this one. But it doesn't really matter because if you're a fan of OUA football, even if you were cheering for, say, the Mustangs in this one, it's hard not to enjoy the show you got. And uh, like I said, I think the Guelph... Uh, TV crew or whatever put on a great show as well and uh to me that was that was an exemplar of just what this game of ours should be week in week out only four games this week we have a full five slot uh of games next week that we'll obviously get into um so that was just a hell of a nightcap and you could see the reactions of people on social following that game and enjoying and uh yeah, like I said, that game I think highlighted so much of what's great in in the OUA and and just indicative of of hopefully more and come more to come later this season. Any last thoughts on this one, or just sort of the week that was for you, Nate? You know, kind of like you said, plenty of twists and turns. I feel like coming into that, you know, that first pod that we did in sort of the season preview, I feel like everything's been kind of flipped upside down, and uh, just really looking forward to seeing where it goes from here. Absolutely. And you can hear our thoughts on where it goes as far as next week. Later on, we have our week three preview pod dropping should be this coming Thursday. In the meantime, though, make sure you're following us on social media, Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at the 55 podcast. You'll see all the content that we're putting out. We're getting the lines for these games our over unders pretty early in the week. We're doing our highlight highlighting our players of the week early on in the week as well. So on uh, Instagram and on Twitter. Make sure to check out the website. We're doing our breakdowns as well. Kind of just a few storylines going into the week 
that is coming up um, and some things to keep your eyes open for as well um, on the website as well as where you'll find the merchandise that, as we've said, supports not only our brand, but supports Stella's Place, a nonprofit uh, that helps young people dealing with their mental health and providing them resources as well. So definitely check that out at the 55.ca and we'll see you later on this week at the 55.